Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you. I am used to being up here on stage, but I'm used to having a, a guitar in my hand and a different mic in front of me. Um, so a little bit different this morning for both of us. Um, but I want you to know it, it's a great privilege for me to be given the opportunity uh, to preach this morning. Um, this isn't something that, that I take lightly. It is a weighty thing to stand before you this morning and attempt to faithfully unpack God's word uh, to you this morning. Uh, I had a great deal of respect for Landon even before this week and before I did this. I have an even greater deal of respect for him now after the time and the study that's gone into this, just week in and week out how he faithfully preaches God's word to us with clarity and conviction. I think all of us coming after Thanksgiving, we can say we're thankful for Landon and the pastoral leadership that he has here at Emmanuel. And I'm appreciative for him for, for giving me an opportunity to speak this morning. Also, before we dig into our text, Chris told me this morning that all the pastors that we partner with in Kenya, it's about 8 p.m. for them right now, but they're watching on live stream today. So I wanna give a shout out to them. Um, we love you guys, we're praying for you guys. Um, okay, so this morning, as Landon has mentioned every Sunday, The first point is that Colossians is a book about the supremacy of Christ. Colossians is a book about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's about his his preeminence, his lordship. Colossians says he is the head of the church. And if you had to boil down the book of Colossians to one singular theme, it would be that. It would be that Christ is supreme, right? And up to this point in the book, in the first half, Paul has explained it in a way that, that's more theoretical. Christ is supreme over creation. He's supreme over the visible realm, the invisible realm. Uh, as we said, he's, he's the head of the church. We are the body. He is the leader. Everything is held together by him. He is our leader. He is our ruler, right? And it's really easy to sit and nod to sermons that say that in a more theoretical, in a more theological, more abstract kind of sense But Paul, as we've begun to move into the second half of the book of Colossians, he's moved, he he started with theology and then he's kind of moved to a little bit more practical implications of how that works out in the church and in in us as individuals. Uh, And if we're honest, that hits home a little bit differently than just the theological when he moves to, to things that are practical to us. So two weeks ago, we saw that Christ is supreme even over our thought lives. Uh, Colossians 3 Paul says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are of the earth. Set your mind. Last week we saw that Christ is supreme over the things that we don't do. We're told to put off or put to death our old selves, the things that defined us in the past, the unregenerate people that we used to be. Okay, and this week we're looking at kind of the second part of that text. We're looking at how Christ is supreme over the things that we do, over the things that we put on. And last week we we started in uh, Colossians 3 verse 5, and really from 5 to 17, it's really one text. We broke it up into two sermons, but it's kind of, it functions as a single unit of thought and describes two different sides of the Christian life. Things to put off, to put to death, and things to put on, or things to do. Okay, and, and that's our big idea this morning. It was the same as last week, is that following Jesus involves putting off sin and putting on obedience. Following Jesus involves putting off sin, putting sin to death, 
and putting on obedience, putting on Christ. So with that, let's go ahead and read our text this morning. We're gonna be in Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. We're gonna read all the way through uh, verse 17. Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the word of God. Let's pray this morning. God, we're grateful for your word. God, we're grateful uh, that you inspired it, that you uh, inspired the, the authors who wrote it down and that we can read and study it knowing that it's uh, inspired by you and that's what you wanted to be written down. God, we're grateful that uh, we have the freedom to gather this morning uh, and that we can just study your word together but that you would just help us to understand Colossians 3 this morning that you would help me to teach it this morning. We ask this in your name, amen. All right, so today's handout, if you've kind of looked at it, it's got four different points. I've organized it this morning as a series of questions. So each point is a question. There's four different questions, and each point is a different question about the, the big idea, about how we put on the obedience of Jesus that Paul describes. A lot of times for me, practically the best way to learn is just to ask questions. And so that's what I've tried to do this morning is, is think of some questions about the text and we're gonna to try to answer them this morning. Questions and answers. So the first question on your point about putting on the obedience of Christ is simply, who, who can even do it? Who can put on obedience? And from verse 12 we see, it, the answer is that those who are chosen, holy, and beloved by God, those are the ones who even have the ability to put on the obedience of Christ. And I rather think it's important to start here with who can do it. We have to get this part right or really we'll misunderstand what the rest of Paul is saying in the rest of this chapter. Uh, we've already said that verses five through 17 is, is one unit of thought. Really, you, you could pretty much back all the way to verse one and say one through 17 functions as, as one unit of thought. Verse one and verse 12 start with similar ideas. Verse one, if you look at it, chapter three, verse one, Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above. And verse 12 is similar. If you are one of God's chosen, holy, and beloved ones, put on the characteristics of Christ. Right? If you know Christ, if Christ has chosen you, put on the characteristics of Christ. Seek the things that are above. In Christ, we have been given a new identity, and we need to put on the characteristics that align with the identity that we've been given in Christ. Many of you know, uh, last week that we had a small team that went to Kenya, uh, Chris Harrington, Jason Westfall, and myself. Uh, if, if you've ever been to Kenya, you also know that it's incredibly hot. 
in Kenya, right? They don't really have seasons. It's either hot or really hot in Africa, right? Uh, Jason, we were driving around in the car, and Jason got a sunburn on his arm just from holding it out the window for a few minutes at a time. Um, I came home looking like Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer from Kenya, right? It's hot in Kenya. Um, And so after a week of being in Kenya and working in Kenya, you can imagine the amount of dirty, sweaty, filthy clothes that piled up, right? They're taut, we sweat, we're working. There's a good pile of sweaty, nasty smelling clothes in my room. And the last day we, we piled all the dirty clothes, my dirty clothes, we put them in a trash bag and we left and we flew back home for America. And one of the first things I did when I got home was hop in the shower and take a nice hot shower from being home, from being in Kenya. When I got out of the shower, do you think that I went over to my trash bag of dirty clothes from Kenya to find something to put on? No, absolutely not. That didn't even cross my mind to go back to this filthy, dirty, sweaty smell of clothes and put that on. No, no, no. Like, I put on clean clothes. I put on fresh, new clothes. I think that's similar to what Paul is trying to tell us, right? If God has chosen you, right? If you've been raised with Christ, if God has redeemed you, if he's cleansed you of your sin, don't go back to the filth in which you used to live, right? Put on the new characteristics of Christ, the new identity that you have in him. You've been given a new identity. Why would you go back to the old one? Put that one to death and put the new one on, right? In in Romans 6, Paul says it this way. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul's saying, we were dead in our sin. We're dead in our sin, but Christ chose us. And we were raised with him so that we might walk in newness of life, so that we might put on the identity of Jesus. And Paul's talking about the picture of baptism. He's describing that here. When we baptize somebody and we put them under the water, that's a symbol of death. That's a symbol of being buried, right? When they come up out of the water, it symbolizes that that person is a new creation, right? The old person is gone, the new person has come, and they're raised to walk in newness of life. They're raised so that they can put on the identity of Jesus, right? They now have the ability to put on the characteristics of Christ. Now, baptism is simply a symbol, right? We're Baptists, we believe there's nothing magical about getting dunked under the water in the water itself. We don't baptize people because we believe that that's what saves them. We baptize people to publicly demonstrate that that person is indeed already saved, that they have already put their faith in Christ. And I think it's the same way with this list of characteristics that Paul goes on to describe, that he's telling the Colossian believers to put on. He's not saying, do these things so that God will save you, so that God might choose you, right? He's saying, God's already done that and you need to live in light of that. You need to put on your new identity that you have in Christ. 
And so who can put on obedience? Verse 12, only those who are chosen, holy, and beloved by God. Only those who have put their faith in Christ. Only those who repent and believe that Christ is supreme. And if you've never done that this morning, then we need to stop right here real quick. You need to stop right here. Like, don't hear this list of commands we're about to talk about and tell yourself, all right, I'm gonna start doing them now. I'm gonna start following them, right? Because your obedience, your ability to put these on apart from faith in Christ is not gonna measure up because God's standard is perfection, right? None of us measure up to that standard. The call for you, if you've never done that, is to put your faith in Jesus today, right? Our righteousness is found in him, it's not found in us. The call for you, if you've never done that, is to believe in that today. But for those of us that do have faith in Christ, who believe and confess that Jesus is supreme, let's press on to question number two. Of just what exactly is Paul telling the Colossian church and us to put on? What kind of obedience does Paul want us to put on? He, he goes on and lists, lists some things that I think can be grouped into two different categories. Okay, the first is that Paul wants us to put on horizontal obedience toward one another. Paul wants us to put on horizontal obedience toward one another. It's kind of a, a strange phrase, horizontal obedience. Let me explain what I mean by horizontal obedience. I mean the way that we interact with other believers, right? Man to man level, human to human level. This first handful of characteristics that Paul lists off has to do with the way we treat one another. In, in verse 12, it says we're to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. It says we're to bear with one another, we're to forgive each other, and above all, we're to put on love, right? These are things we have to put on and show toward one another. Let me give you an example. There was an incident in the church office a couple months ago involving this movie. Some of you might have heard about it. All right, there was an incident between myself and a staff member who shall remain anonymous. Um, it would be inappropriate to tell you their name, so I'm just not gonna tell you their name. But I will tell you, they're very tall and they're follically challenged. <laughs> All right, that's, can't tell you their name, but I will give you that. Right? Somehow, somehow, in the church office, right by Crystal's desk, this movie got brought up, I don't remember how, but it came to light that I had never seen this movie. I still haven't seen this movie, by the way. So, <laughs> do I need to repent? Uh, so I said to start, to start today, I learned best by asking questions. So I'd never seen it, so I wanted to learn about the movie. I began asking this anonymous staff member, who we don't know who is, anonymous staff member, questions about the movie, just basic questions about the plot line, about the characters. A few questions in, this staff member, I guess, got lost some patience. He failed to show me horizontal obedience for a second. Uh, and he grabbed a pitcher of water and he hurled it at me. I became drenched in water. This anonymous staff member threw, me with, threw a pitcher of water on me. Right? And in that moment, I had to show this anonymous staff member some horizontal obedience. I, I had to put on kindness toward them. I had to put on forgiveness and love toward them. Right? Now, in actuality, that's not an all that serious example. That all was done in good fun. That's really just a, a silly example. 
But there are more serious times in the life of the church that we have to put on horizontal obedience toward one another, right? Sometimes there are serious differences and disagreements that we are called to work out together. We gotta put on horizontal obedience toward one another. We also have to put on vertical obedience toward Christ. Let's put on horizontal obedience toward one another. We put on vertical obedience toward Christ. So vertical obedience is not on a man-to-man level, it's on a man-to-God level, vertical level. Okay, in verse 15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Paul talks about peace in another book, in the book of Philippians chapter four. He says something similar. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We've got to understand peace isn't something that's innate in us, right? It's not natural for us to be at peace with God. What's natural for us is to be anxious and to worry about the future. But Paul tells us we need to put on a peace that comes from Christ. We we can't conjure it up in ourselves. We've got to have it from Christ, right? Let that be what rules in our hearts. He also talks about being thankful, He says that three times. At the end of verse 15, he says, be thankful. At the end of verse 16, he says, have thankfulness in your hearts to God. At the end of verse 17, he says, give thanks to God the Father. Now, Paul would undoubtedly agree that we should be at peace and be thankful, live at peace and be thankful with one another on a horizontal way, but he's not specifically talking about that here. He's talking about it in a way that's between us and God, right? Talking about a peace and thankfulness as something that we put on and obedience that we show to be displayed before God, right, that comes from God. So, so far we've answered two questions about what it means to put on obedience. We've answered who can do it, only those who are chosen, holy and beloved by God. We've answered what exactly is it, we're to show horizontal and vertical obedience. Now we're gonna look at how we actually go about doing this. We know who can do it, we know what we're called to do, now how do we actually go about doing it? How do we do this as a church? Let's look at verse 16. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the first way is we teach the gospel. We teach the gospel, the first way that we put on obedience as a church is to teach the gospel. I almost changed my handout, instead of that word gospel, I almost changed it to say, we teach the word of Christ. If you wanna write that beside that word gospel, word of Christ, that's what we're talking about in verse 16. That's the language that Paul uses in Colossians. And if Christ is supreme, then what he says, the word of Christ, needs to be what we teach as a church. That needs to be what dwells richly among us, right? That needs to be what guides our services and everything we do as a church body, right? We teach the word of Christ in our preaching. We teach it in Sunday school. We teach it in youth ministry, in children's ministry. We teach it in our parenting. Everything we do, the word of Christ needs to dwell richly among us. And another way that we do that is through our singing. That's your second point, is we sing the gospel. We teach the gospel and we sing the gospel. And really, Paul includes singing as a way that we teach 
the word of Christ. Singing is teaching. We are to teach and admonish one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We, we need to understand that songs aren't just something that we have to sit through before we get to the teaching. Songs are a part of the teaching in church. Right? We, we don't sing in church so that we'll be entertained or we'll be wowed by any of the giftedness in the band. We sing to teach. Right? Songs are powerful. Ten years from now, you will have forgotten the four points on this handout this morning. But you will remember the songs that we sing. Songs are powerful. If I bust it out right now and Jesus loves me, every single one of you could start singing it with me. We all have the lyrics and the melody in our brains. That's how powerful songs are. Songs are teaching. Songs are formative. Just yesterday, uh, me and Desiree did Thanksgiving in New Mexico and we drove back home and I read through my sermon uh, in the car. And after I finished, she said, you know, that's funny that you're doing Colossians 3.12 because, and you're talking about singing because I learned a song in church as a kid that's the words of Colossians 3.12 and she immediately started singing the words and the melody to Colossians 3.12 that she learned when she was a child. It's been probably 15 or 20 years since she heard it or she sang it, but immediately she began to sing it because songs are powerful. She knew every word by heart, right? Songs teach us. Songs are formative. Songs help us remember and apply the word of Christ to our lives. And the cool thing is there's diversity in this, right? There's diversity in the songs that Paul's describing. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly through psalms, through hymns, through spiritual songs, different things, right? There's no era, there's no style of music or singing that has a monopoly on what we ought to be singing. The litmus test of a song isn't, is it old or is it new? The test isn't how fast is it, how slow is it? The test isn't how catchy is it? The test is, does the content in the song agree with the words of Christ? Does it agree with the gospel? Is it faithful to what God says in his word, does it agree with scripture or does it distort scripture? Does it accurately teach the gospel or does it misrepresent it? Our songs and our teaching have to submit themselves to the word of Christ. So we teach the word and we sing the word. That's how we encourage one another to continue living lives that put on sin and put, sorry, put off sin and put on obedience. Lastly, fourth question, we, we ask why? Why should we put on obedience? We said in the beginning that we don't put on obedience in order to be saved. We do it because we already are. And so if we don't have to put on obedience to be saved, why should we put it on at all? Right? Living the Christian life is hard. Why do it at all if, if it's not what saves us? We do it for the glory of Jesus. For the glory of Jesus. That's why we do it. Verse 17 Paul says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God cares about every single part of our lives. If you go back to two weeks ago, Colossians 3, 2, Paul tells us to set our minds on the things of above. God cares about our thought life. He cares about what we don't do. Verse five, we're to put to death what's earthly in us. And he cares about what we do. We are to put on 
Jesus, essentially. We're to put on the characteristics of Jesus. Okay, everything we do, whether it's in word or thought or deed, is done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's done to give him and bring him glory. Why? Because Christ is supreme. Ties back to the whole theme of the whole book. Christ is supreme. To use language from verse 11, it says, Christ is all and he is in all. He is supreme. Christ is supreme. He's supreme at church. He's supreme at the grocery store. He's supreme at work. He's supreme when, when we're home. He's supreme when we're alone. Right? Everywhere we go and everything we do, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is supreme. He is first place. He is all and he is in all. And we submit every single part of our lives to him. Amen, church. Let's pray.